double-barreled detective story by mark twain part two chapter one the next afternoon the village was electrified with an immense sensation a grave and dignified foreigner of distinguished bearing and appearance had arrived at the tavern and entered this formidable name upon the register sherlock holmes the news buzzed from cabin to cabin from claim to claim tools were dropped and the town swarmed toward the center of interest a man passing out at the northern end of the village shouted it to pat riley whose claim was the next one to flint buckner's at that time fetlock jones seemed to turn sick he muttered to himself uncle sherlock the mean luck of it that he should come just when he dropped into a reverie and presently said to himself but what's the use of being afraid of him anybody that knows him the way i do knows he can't detect a crime except where he plans it all out beforehand and arranges the clues and hires some fellow to commit it according to instructions now there ain't going to be any clues this time so what show has he got none at all no sir everything's ready if i was to risk putting it off no i won't run any risk like that flint buckner goes out of this world to-night for sure then another trouble presented itself uncle sherlock will be wanting to talk home matters with me this evening and how am i going to get rid of him for i've got to be at my cabin a minute or two about eight o'clock this was an awkward matter and cost him much thought but he found a way to beat the difficulty we'll go for a walk and i'll leave him in the road a minute so that he won't see what it is i do the best way to throw a detective off the track anyway is to have him along when you are preparing the thing yes that's the safest i'll take him with me meantime the road in front of the tavern was blocked with villagers waiting and hoping for a glimpse of the great man but he kept his room and did not appear none but ferguson jake parker the blacksmith and ham sandwich had any luck these enthusiastic admirers of the great scientific detective hired the tavern's detained baggage lock-up which looked into the detective's room across a little alleyway ten or twelve feet wide ambushed themselves in it and cut some peep-holes in the window-blind mr holmes blinds were down but by and by he raised them it gave the spies a hair-lifting but pleasurable thrill to find themselves face to face with the extraordinary man who had filled the world with the fame of his more than human ingenuities there he sat not a myth not a shadow but real alive compact of substance and almost within touching distance with the hand look at that head said ferguson in an awed voice by gracious that's a head you bet said the blacksmith with deep reverence look at his nose look at his eyes intellect just a battery of it and that paleness said ham sandwich comes from thought that's what it comes from hail duffers like us don't know what real thought is no more we don't said ferguson what we take for thinking is just blubber and slush right you are wells fargo and look at that frown that's deep thinking away down down forty fathom into the bowels of things he's on the track of something well he is and don't you forget it say look at that awful gravity look at that pallid solemnness there ain't any corpse can lay over it no sir not for dollars and it's his'n by hereditary rights too he's been dead four times already and there's history for it 
three times natural once by accident i've heard say he smells damp and cold like a grave and he shh watch him there he's got his thumb on the bump on the near corner of his forehead and his forefinger on the off one his thinkworks is just a grinding now you bet your other shirt that's so and now he's gazing up toward heaven and stroking his mustache slow and now he has rose up standing and is putting his clues together on his left fingers with his right finger see he touches the forefinger now middle finger now ring finger stuck look at him scowl he can't seem to make out that clue so he see him smile like a tiger and tally off the other fingers like nothing he's got it boys he's got it sure well i should say i'd hate to be in that man's place that he's after mr holmes drew a table to the window sat down with his back to the spies and proceeded to write the spies withdrew their eyes from the peepholes lit their pipes and settled themselves for a comfortable smoke and talk ferguson said with conviction boys it's no use talking he's a wonder he's got the signs of it all over him you ain't ever said a truer word than that wells fargo said jake parker say wouldn't it have been nuts if he'd have been here last night oh by george but wouldn't it said ferguson then we'd have seen the scientific work intellect just pure intellect away up on the upper levels don't you know archie is all right and it don't become anybody to belittle him i can tell you but his gift is only just eyesight sharp as an owl's as near as i can make it out just a grand natural animal talent no more no less and prime as far as it goes but no intellect in it and for awfulness and marvelousness no more to be compared to what this man does than than why uh, let me tell you what he'd have done he'd have stepped over to hogan's and glanced just glanced that's all at the premises and that's enough see everything yes sir to the last little detail and he'd know more about that place than the hogan's would know in seven years next he would sit down on the bunk just as calm and say to mrs hogan say ham consider that you are mrs hogan i'll ask the questions you answer them all right go on madam if you please attention do not let your mind wander now then sex of the child female your honor um female very good very good age turned six your honor hmm young weak two miles weariness will overtake it then it will sink down and sleep we shall find it two miles away or less teeth five your honor and one a coming very good very good very good indeed you see boys he knows a clue when he sees it when it wouldn't mean a darn thing to anybody else stockings madam shoes yes your honor both yarn perhaps morocco yarn your honor and kip hm kip this complicates the matter however let it go we shall manage religion catholic your honor very good snip me a bit from the bed blanket please ah thanks part wool foreign make very well a snip from some garment of the child's please thanks cotton shows wear an excellent clue excellent pass me a pellet of the floor dirt if you'll be so kind thanks many thanks ah admirable admirable now we know where we are i think 
You see, boys, he's got all the clues he wants now. He don't need anything more. Now then, what does this extraordinary man do? He lays those snips and that dirt out on the table and leans over them on his elbows and puts them together side by side and studies them, mumbles to himself, female, changes them around, mumbles, six years old, changes them this way and that, again, mumbles, five teeth, one a-coming, Catholic, yarn, cotton, kip, damn that kip. Then he straightens up and gazes toward heaven and plows his hands through his hair, plows and plows, muttering, damn that kip. Then he stands up and frowns and begins to tally off his clues on his fingers and gets stuck at the ring finger. But only just a minute, then his face glares all up in a smile like a house afire, and he straightens up stately and majestic, and says to the crowd, "'Take a lantern, a couple of you, and go down to Injun Billy's and fetch the child. The rest of you go along home to bed. Good night, madam. Good night, gents.' And he bows like the Matterhorn, and pulls out for the tavern. That's his style, and the only scientific intellectual. All over in fifteen minutes, no poking around all over the sagebrush range an hour and a half in a mass-meeting crowd for him, boys. You hear me?" "'By Jackson, it's grand,' said Ham Sandwich. "'Wells Fargo, you've got him down to a dot. He ain't painted up any exactor to the life in the books. By George, I can just see him, can't you, boys?' "'You bet you. It's just a photograph. That's what it is.' Ferguson was profoundly pleased with his success, and grateful. He sat silently, enjoying his happiness a little while. Then he murmured, with a deep awe in his voice, "'I wonder if God made him.' There was no response for a moment. Then Ham Sandwich said reverently, "'Not all at one time, I reckon.'" End of Part 2, Chapter 1 A Double-Barrel Detective Story by Mark Twain Part 2, Chapter 2 at eight o'clock that evening two persons were groping their way past Flint Buckner's cabin in the frosty gloom. They were Sherlock Holmes and his nephew. "'Stop here in the road a moment, Uncle,' said Fetlock, while I run to my cabin. I won't be gone a minute.' He asked for something. The uncle furnished it. Then he disappeared in the darkness, but soon returned, and the talking walk was resumed. By nine o'clock they had wandered back to the tavern. They worked their way through the billiard-room, where a crowd had gathered in the hope of getting a glimpse of the extraordinary man. A royal cheer was raised. Mr. Holmes acknowledged the compliment with a series of courtly bows, and as he was passing out his nephew said to the assemblage, "'Uncle Sherlock's got some work to do, gentlemen, that'll keep him till twelve or one, but he'll be down again then, or earlier if he can, and hopes some of you'll be left to take a drink with him.' by george he's just a duke boys three cheers for sherlock holmes the greatest man that ever lived shouted ferguson hip 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 hooray 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 tiger the uproar shook the building so hearty was the feeling the boys put into their welcome upstairs the uncle reproached the nephew gently saying what did you get me into that engagement for i reckon you don't want to be unpopular do you uncle well, then, don't you put on any exclusiveness in a mining camp, that's all. The boys admire you, but if you was to leave without taking a drink with them, they'd set you down for a snob. And besides, you said you had home talk enough in stock to keep us up and at it half the night. The boy was right and wise. The uncle acknowledged it. 
the boy was wise in another detail which he did not mention except to himself uncle and the others will come handy in the way of nailing an alibi where it can't be budged he and his uncle talked diligently about three hours then about midnight fetlock stepped downstairs and took a position in the dark a dozen steps from the tavern and waited five minutes later flint buckner came rocking out of the billiard-room and almost brushed him as he passed i've got him muttered the boy he continued to himself looking after the shadowy form good-bye good-bye for good flint buckner you called my mother a well never mind what it's all right now you're taking your last walk friend he went musing back into the tavern from now till one is an hour we'll spend it with the boys it's good for the alibi he brought sherlock holmes to the billiard-room which was jammed with eager and admiring miners the guest called the drinks and the fun began everybody was happy everybody was complimentary the ice was soon broken songs anecdotes and more drinks followed and the pregnant minutes flew at six minutes to one when the jollity was at its highest boom there was silence instantly the deep sound came rolling and rumbling from peak to peak up the gorge then died down and ceased the spell broke then and the men made a rush for the door saying something's blown up outside a voice in the darkness said it's away down the gorge i saw the flash the crowd poured down the canyon holmes fetlock archie stillman everybody they made the mile in a few minutes by the light of a lantern they found the smooth and solid dirt floor of flint buckner's cabin of the cabin itself not a vestige remained not a rag nor a splinter nor any sign of flint search parties sought here and there and yonder and presently a cry went up here he is it was true fifty yards down the gulch they had found him that is they had found a crushed and lifeless mass which represented him fetlock jones hurried thither with the others and looked the inquest was a fifteen-minute affair ham sandwich foreman of the jury handed up the verdict which was phrased with a certain unstudied literary grace and closed with this finding to wit that deceased came to his death by his own act or some other person or persons unknown to this jury not leaving any family or similar effects behind but his cabin which was blown away and god have mercy on his soul amen then the impatient jury rejoined the main crowd for the storm center of interest was there sherlock holmes the miners stood silent and reverent in a half-circle enclosing a large vacant space which included the front exposure of the site of the late premises in this considerable space the extraordinary man was moving about attended by his nephew with a lantern with a tape he took measurements of the cabin site of the distance from the wall of chaparral to the road of the height of the chaparral bushes also various other measurements he gathered a rag here a splinter there and a pinch of earth yonder inspected them profoundly and preserved them he took the lay of the place with a pocket compass allowing two seconds for magnetic variation he took the time pacific by his watch correcting it for local time he paced off the distance from the cabin site to the corpse and corrected that for tidal differentiation he took the altitude with a pocket aneroid and the temperature with a pocket thermometer finally he said with a stately bow it is finished 
shall we return gentlemen he took up the line of march for the tavern and the crowd fell into his wake earnestly discussing and admiring the extraordinary man and interlarding guesses as to the origin of the tragedy and who the author of it might be my but it's grand luck having him here hey boys said ferguson it's the biggest thing of the century said ham sandwich it'll go all over the world you mark my words you bet said jake parker the blacksmith it'll boom this camp ain't it so wells fargo well as you want my opinion if it's any sign of how i think about it i can tell you this yesterday i was holding the straight flush claim at two dollars a foot i'd like to see the man that can get it at sixteen today right you are wells fargo it's the grandest luck a new camp ever struck say did you see him collar them little rags and dirt and things what an eye he just can't overlook a clue taint in him that's so and they wouldn't mean a thing to anybody else but to him why they're just a book large print at that sure as you're born them odds and ends have got their little old secret and they think there ain't anybody can pull it but land when he sets his grip there they've got to squeal and don't you forget it boys i ain't sorry now that he wasn't here to roust out the child this is a bigger thing by a long sight yes sir and more tangled up and scientific and intellectual i reckon we're all of us glad it's turned out this way glad george it ain't any name for it don't you know archie could have learnt something if he'd had the newt to stand by and take notice of how that man works the system but no he went poking up into the chaparral and just missed the whole thing it's true as gospel i seen it myself well archie's young he'll know better one of these days say boys who do you reckon done it that was a difficult question and brought out a world of unsatisfying conjecture various men were mentioned as possibilities but one by one they were discarded as not being eligible no one but young hillier had been intimate with flint buckner no one had really had a quarrel with him he had affronted every man who had tried to make up to him although not quite offensively enough to require bloodshed there was one name that was upon every tongue from the start but it was the last to get utterance fetlock jones it was pat riley that mentioned it oh well the boys said of course we've all thought of him because he had a million rights to kill flint buckner and it was just his plain duty to do it but all the same there's two things we can't get around for one thing he hasn't got the sand and for another he wasn't anywhere near the place when it happened i know it said pat he was there in the billiard room with us when it happened yes and was there all the time for an hour before it happened it's so lucky for him too he'd have been suspected in a minute if it hadn't been for that end of part two chapter two part two chapter three the tavern dining room had been cleared of all its furniture save one six-foot pine table and a chair this table was against one end of the room the chair was on it sherlock holmes stately imposing impressive sat in the chair the public stood the room was full the tobacco smoke was dense the stillness profound the extraordinary man raised his hand to command additional silence held it in the air a few moments then in brief crisp terms he put forward question after question and noted the answers with mm, mm, nods of the head and so on 
by this process he learned all about flint buckner his character conduct and habits that the people were able to tell him it thus transpired that the extraordinary man's nephew was the only person in the camp who had a killing grudge against flint buckner mr holmes smiled compassionately upon the witness and asked languidly do any of you gentlemen chance to know where the lad fetlock jones was at the time of the explosion a thunderous response followed in the billiard-room of this house ah and had he just come in been there all of an hour ah it is about about well about how far might it be to the scene of the explosions all of a mile ah it isn't much of an alibi tis true but a storm burst of laughter mingled with shouts of by jiminy but he's chain lightning and ain't you sorry you spoke sandy shut off the rest of the sentence and the crushed witness drooped his blushing face in pathetic shame the inquisitor resumed the lad jones's somewhat distant connection with the case laughter having been disposed of let us now call the eye-witnesses of the tragedy and listen to what they have to say he got out his fragmentary clues and arranged them on a sheet of cardboard on his knee the house held its breath and watched we have the longitude and the latitude corrected for magnetic variation and this gives us the exact location of the tragedy we have the altitude the temperature and the degree of humidity prevailing inestimably valuable since they enable us to estimate with precision the degree of influence which they would exercise upon the mood and disposition of the assassin at that time of the night buzz of admiration muttered remark by george but he's deep he fingered his clues and now let us ask these mute witnesses to speak to us here we have an empty linen shot-bag what is its message this that robbery was the motive not revenge what is its further message this that the assassin was of inferior intelligence shall we say light-witted or perhaps approaching that how do we know this because a person of sound intelligence would not have proposed to rob the man buckner who never had much money with him but the assassin might have been a stranger let the bag speak again i take from it this article it is a bit of silver-bearing quartz it is peculiar examine it please you and you and you now pass it back please there is but one load on this coast which produces just that character and color of quartz and that is a load which crops out for nearly two miles on a stretch and in my opinion is destined at no distant day to confer upon its locality a globe-girdling celebrity and upon its two hundred owners riches beyond the dreams of avarice name that load please the consolidated christian science and mary ann was the prompt response a wild crash of hurrahs followed and every man reached for his neighbor's hand and wrung it with tears in his eyes and wells fargo ferguson shouted the straight flush is on the load and up she goes to a hundred and fifty a foot you hear me when quiet fell mr holmes resumed we perceive then that three facts are established to wit the assassin was approximately light-witted he was not a stranger his motive was robbery not revenge let us proceed 
i hold in my hand a small fragment of fuse with the recent smell of fire upon it what is its testimony taken with the corroborative evidence of the quartz it reveals to us that the assassin was a miner what does it tell us further this gentlemen that the assassination was consummated by means of an explosion what else does it say this that the explosive was located against the side of the cabin nearest the road the front side for within six feet of that spot i found it i hold in my fingers a burnt swedish match the kind one rubs on a safety box i found it in the road six hundred and twenty-two feet from the abolished cabin what does it say this that the train was fired from that point what further does it tell us this that the assassin was left-handed how do i know this i should not be able to explain to you gentlemen how i know it the signs being so subtle that only long experience and deep study can enable one to detect them but the signs are here and they are reinforced by a fact which you must have often noticed in the great detective narratives that all assassins are left-handed by jackson that's so said ham sandwich bringing his great hand down with a resounding slap upon his thigh blamed if i ever thought of it before nor i nor i cried several oh there can't anything escape him look at his eye gentlemen distant as the murderer was from his doomed victim he did not wholly escape injury this fragment of wood which i now exhibit to you struck him it drew blood wherever he is he bears the tell-tale mark i picked it up where he stood when he fired the fatal train he looked out over the house from his high perch and his countenance began to darken he slowly raised his hand and pointed there stands the assassin for a moment the house was paralyzed with amazement then twenty voices burst out with sammy hillier oh hell no him it's pure foolishness take care gentlemen be not hasty observe he has the blood mark on his brow hillier turned white with fright he was near to crying he turned this way and that appealing to every face for help and sympathy and held out his supplicating hands toward holmes and began to plead don't you oh don't i, I never did it i give my word I, I never did it the way i got this hurt on my forehead was arrest him constable cried holmes i will swear out the warrant the constable moved reluctantly forward hesitated stopped hillier broke out with another appeal oh archie don't let them do it it would kill mother oh you know how i got the hurt tell them and save me archie save me stillman worked his way to the front and said yes i'll save you don't be afraid then he said to the house never mind how he got the hurt it hasn't anything to do with this case and it isn't of any consequence god bless you archie for a true friend hurrah for archie go in boy and play him a knock-down flush to their two-pair in the jack shouted the house pride in their home talent and a patriotic sentiment of loyalty to it rising suddenly in the public heart and changing the whole attitude of the situation young stillman waited for the noise to cease then he said i will ask tom jeffries to stand by that door yonder and constable harris to stand by the other one here and not let anybody leave the room said and done go on old man the criminal is present i believe 
I will show him to you before long, in case I am right in my guess. Now I will tell you all about the tragedy from start to finish. The motive wasn't robbery, it was revenge. The murderer wasn't light-witted. He didn't stand six hundred and twenty-two feet away. He didn't get hit with a piece of wood. He didn't place the explosive against the cabin. He didn't bring a shot-bag with him, and he wasn't left-handed. With the exception of these errors, the distinguished guest's statement of the case is substantially correct. A comfortable laugh rippled over the house. Friend nodded to friend, as much as to say, That's the word, with a bark on it. Good lad, good boy. He ain't lowering his flag any. The guest's serenity was not disturbed. Stillman resumed. I also have some witnesses, and I will presently tell you where you can find some more. He held up a piece of coarse wire. The crowd craned their necks to see. It has a smooth coating of melted tallow on it, and here is a candle which is burned halfway down. The remaining half of it has marks cut upon it an inch apart. Soon I will tell you where I found these things. I will now put aside reasonings, guesses, the impressive hitchings of odds and ends of clues together, and the other showy theatricals of the detective trade, and tell you in a plain, straightforward way just how this dismal thing happened. He paused a moment for effect, to allow silence and suspense to intensify and concentrate the house's interest. Then he went on. The assassin studied out his plan with a good deal of pains. It was a good plan, very ingenious, and showed an intelligent mind, not a feeble one. It was a plan which was well calculated to ward off all suspicion from its inventor. In the first place, he marked a candle into spaces an inch apart, and lit it, and timed it. He found it took three hours to burn four inches of it. I tried it myself for half an hour, a while ago, upstairs here, while the inquiry into Flint Buckner's character and ways was being conducted in this room, and I arrived in that way at the rate of a candle's consumption when sheltered from the wind. Having proved his trial candle's rate, he blew it out, I have already shown it to you, and put his inch-marks on a fresh one. He put the fresh one into a tin candlestick. Then, at the five-hour mark, he bored a hole through the candle with a red-hot wire. I have already shown you the wire, with a smooth coat of tallow on it, tallow that had been melted and had cooled. With labor—very hard labor, I should say—he struggled up through the stiff chaparral that closed the steep hillside back of Flint Buckner's place, tugging an empty flour-barrel with him. He placed it in that absolutely secure hiding-place and in the bottom of it he set the candlestick. Then he measured off about thirty-five feet of fuse, the barrel's distance from the back of the cabin. He bored a hole in the side of the barrel. Here is the large gimlet he did it with. He went on and finished his work, and when it was done, one end of the fuse was in Buckner's cabin, and the other end, with a notch chipped in it to expose the powder, was in the hole in the candle timed to blow the place up at one o'clock this morning, provided the candle was lit about eight o'clock yesterday evening, which I am betting it was, and provided there was an explosive in the cabin and connected with that end of the fuse, which I am also betting there was, though I can't prove it. Boys, the barrel is there in the chaparral. The candle's remains are in it in the tin stick. The burnt-out fuse is in the gimlet hole. 
the other end is down the hill where the late cabin stood i saw them all an hour or two ago when the professor here was measuring off unimplicated vacancies and collecting relics that hadn't anything to do with the case he paused the house drew a long deep breath shook its strained cords and muscles free and burst into cheers dang him said ham sandwich that's why he was snooping around in the chaparral instead of picking up points out of the professor's game look here he ain't no fool boys no sir why great scott but stillman was resuming while we were out yonder an hour or two ago the owner of the gimlet and the trial candle took them from a place where he had concealed them it was not a good place and carried them to what he probably thought was a better one two hundred yards up in the pine woods and hid them there covering them over with pine needles it was there that i found them the gimlet exactly fits the hole in the barrel and now the extraordinary man interrupted him he said sarcastically we have had a very pretty fairy tale gentlemen very pretty indeed now i would like to ask this young man a question or two some of the boys winced and ferguson said i'm afraid archie's going to catch it now the others lost their smiles and sobered down and mr holmes said let us proceed to examine into this fairy tale in a consecutive and orderly way by geometrical progression so to speak linking detail to detail in a steadily advancing and remorselessly consistent and unassailable march upon this tinsel toy fortress of error the dream fabric of a callow imagination to begin with young sir i desire to ask you but three questions at present at present did i understand you to say it was your opinion that the supposititious candle was lighted at about eight o'clock yesterday evening yes sir about eight could you say exactly eight well no i couldn't be that exact hmm if a person had been passing along there just about that time he would have been almost sure to encounter that assassin do you think yes i should think so thank you that is all for the present i say all for the present dern him he's laying for archie said ferguson it's so said ham sandwich i don't like the look of it stillman said glancing at the guest i was along there myself at half-past eight uh, no about nine indeed this is interesting this is very interesting perhaps you encountered the assassin yourself no i encountered no one ah then if you will excuse the remark i do not quite see the relevancy of the information it has none at present i say it has none at present he paused presently he resumed i did not encounter the assassin but i am on his track i am sure for i believe he is in this room i will ask you all to pass one by one in front of me here where there is a good light so that i can see your feet a buzz of excitement swept the place and the march began the guest looking on with an iron attempt at gravity which was not an unqualified success stillman stooped shaded his eyes with his hand and gazed down intently at each pair of feet as it passed fifty men tramped monotonously by with no result sixty seventy the thing was beginning to look absurd the guest remarked with suave irony assassins appeared to be scarce this evening the house saw the humor of it and refreshed itself with a cordial laugh t 
ten or twelve more candidates tramped by no danced by with airy and ridiculous capers which convulsed the spectators then suddenly stillman put out his hand and said this is the assassin fetlock jones by the great sanhedrin roared the crowd and at once let fly a pyrotechnic explosion and dazzle and confusion of stirring remarks inspired by the situation at the height of the turmoil the guest stretched out his hand commanding peace the authority of a great name and a great personality laid its mysterious compulsion upon the house and it obeyed out of the panting calm which succeeded the guest spoke saying with dignity and feeling this is serious it strikes at an innocent life innocent beyond suspicion innocent beyond peradventure hear me prove it observe how simple a fact can brush out of existence this witless lie listen my friends that lad was never out of my sight yesterday evening at any time it made a deep impression men turned their eyes upon stillman with grave inquiry in them his face brightened and he said i knew there was another one he stepped briskly to the table and glanced at the guest's feet then up at his face and said you were with him you were not fifty steps from him when he lit the candle that by and by fired the powder sensation and what is more you furnished the matches yourself plainly the guest seemed hit it looked so to the public he opened his mouth to speak the words did not come freely this uh, this is insanity this stillman pressed his evident advantage home he held up a charred match here is one of them i found it in the barrel and there's another one there the guest found his voice at once yes and put them there yourself it was recognized as a good shot stillman retorted it is wax a breed unknown to this camp i am ready to be searched for the box are you the guest was staggered this time the dullest eye could see it he fumbled with his hands once or twice his lips moved but the words did not come the house waited and watched in tense suspense the stillness adding effect to the situation presently stillman said gently we are waiting for your decision there was silence again during several moments then the guest answered in a low voice i refuse to be searched there was no noisy demonstration but all about the house one voice after another muttered that settles it these archies meet what to do now nobody seemed to know it was an embarrassing situation for the moment merely of course because matters had taken such a sudden and unexpected turn that these unpractised minds were not prepared for it and had come to a standstill like a stopped clock under the shock but after a little the machinery began to work again tentatively and by twos and threes the men put their heads together and privately buzzed over this and that and the other proposition one of these propositions met with much favor it was to confer upon the assassin a vote of thanks for removing flint buckner and let him go but the cooler heads opposed it pointing out that addled brains in the eastern states would pronounce it a scandal and make no end of foolish noise about it in the end the cool heads got the upper hand and obtained general consent to a proposition of their own and their leader then called the house to order and stated it to this effect that fetlock jones be jailed and put upon trial the motion was carried 
Apparently there was nothing further to do now, and the people were glad, for, privately, they were impatient to get out and rush to the scene of the tragedy, and see whether that barrel and the other things were really there or not. But no, the break-up got a check. The surprises were not over yet. For a while Fetlock Jones had been silently sobbing, unnoticed in the absorbing excitements which had been following one another so persistently for some time. But when his arrest and trial were decreed, he broke out despairingly and said, "'No! It's no use! I don't want any jail! I don't want any trial! I've had all the hard luck I want and all the miseries! Hang me now and let me out! It would all come out anyway!' there couldn't anything save me. He has told it all, just as if he'd been with me and seen it. I don't know how he found out. And you'll find the barrel and things, and then I wouldn't have any chance any more. I killed him, and you'd have done it too, if he'd treated you like a dog, and you only a boy, and weak and poor, and not a friend to help you. And served him damn well right, broke in Ham Sandwich. Look here, boys, from the constable. Order! Order, gentlemen! A voice. Did your uncle know what you was up to? No, he didn't. Did he give you the matches, sure enough? Yes, he did, but he didn't know what I wanted them for. When you was out on such a business as that, how did you venture to risk having him along and him a detective? How's that? The boy hesitated, fumbled with his buttons in an embarrassed way, then said shyly, I know about detectives on account of having them in the family and if you don't want them to find out about a thing, it's best to have them around when you do it." The cyclone of laughter which greeted this naive discharge of wisdom did not modify the poor little waif's embarrassment in any large degree. End of Part 2, Chapter 3 Part 2, Chapter 4 From a letter to Mrs. Stillman, dated merely Tuesday. Fetlock Jones was put under lock and key in an unoccupied log cabin, and left there to await his trial. Constable Harris provided him with a couple of days' rations, instructed him to keep a good guard over himself, and promised to look in on him as soon as further supplies should be due. Next morning a score of us went with Hillier, out of friendship, and helped him bury his late relative, the unlamented Buckner, and I acted as first assistant pallbearer, Hillier acting as chief. Just as we had finished our labors, a ragged and melancholy stranger carrying an old handbag limped by with his head down, and I caught the scent I had chased around the globe. It was the odor of paradise to my perishing hope. In a moment I was at his side, and had laid a gentle hand upon his shoulder. He slumped to the ground as if a stroke of lightning had withered him in his tracks and as the boys came running he struggled to his knees and put up his pleading hands to me and out of his chattering jaws he begged me to persecute him no more and said you have hunted me around the world sherlock holmes yet god is my witness i have never done any man harm a glance at his wild eyes showed us that he was insane that was my work mother the tidings of your death can some day repeat the misery i felt in that moment but nothing else can ever do it the boys lifted him up and gathered about him and were full of pity of him and said the gentlest and touchingest things to him and said cheer up and don't be troubled he was among friends now and they would take care of him and protect him and hang any man that laid a hand on him 
they are just like so many mothers the rough mining camp boys are when you wake up the south side of their hearts yes and just like so many reckless and unreasoning children when you wake up the opposite of that muscle they did everything they could think of to comfort him but nothing succeeded until wells fargo ferguson who is a clever strategist said if it's only sherlock holmes that's troubling you you needn't worry any more why asked the forlorn lunatic eagerly because he's dead again dead dead oh don't trifle with a poor wreck like me is he dead on honor now is he telling me true boys true as you're a-standin there said ham sandwich and they all backed up the statement in a body they hung him in san bernardino last week added ferguson clinching the matter whilst he was searching around after you mistook him for another man they're sorry but they can't help it now they're a-building him a monument said ham sandwich with the air of a person who had contributed to it and knew james walker drew a deep sigh evidently a sigh of relief and said nothing but his eyes lost something of their wildness his countenance cleared visibly and its drawn look relaxed a little we all went to our cabin and the boys cooked him the best dinner the camp could furnish the materials for and while they were about it hillier and i outfitted him from hat to shoe-leather with new clothes of ours and made a comely and presentable old gentleman of him old is the right word and a pity too old by the droop of him and the frost upon his hair and the marks which sorrow and distress have left upon his face though he is only in his prime in the matter of years while he ate we smoked and chatted and when he was finishing he found his voice at last and of his own accord broke out with his personal history i cannot furnish his exact words but i will come as near as i can the wrong man's story it happened like this i was in denver i had been there many years sometimes i remember how many sometimes i don't but it isn't any matter all of a sudden i got a notice to leave or i would be exposed for a horrible crime committed long before years and years before in the east i knew about that crime but i was not the criminal it was a cousin of mine of the same name what should i better do my head was all disordered by fear and i didn't know i was allowed very little time only one day i think it was i would be ruined if i was published and the people would lynch me and not believe what i said it is always the way with lynchings when they find out it is a mistake they are sorry but it is too late the same as it was with mr holmes you see so i said i would sell out and get money to live on and run away until it blew over and i could come back with my proofs then i escaped in the night and went a long way off in the mountains somewhere and lived disguised and had a false name i got more and more troubled and worried and my troubles made me see spirits and hear voices and i could not think straight and clear on any subject but got confused and involved and had to give it up because my head hurt so it got to be worse and worse more spirits and more voices they were about me all the time at first only in the night then in the day too they were always whispering around my bed and plotting against me and it broke my sleep and kept me fagged out because i got no good rest and then came the worst one night the whispers said we'll never manage because we can't see him 
and so can't point him out to the people. They sighed. Then one said, We must bring Sherlock Holmes. He can be here in twelve days. They all agreed, and whispered and gibbered with joy, but my heart broke, for I had read about that man, and knew what it would be to have him upon my track, with his superhuman penetration and tireless energies. The spirits went away to fetch him, and I got up at once in the middle of the night and fled away, carrying nothing but the handbag that had my money in it, thirty thousand dollars. Two-thirds of it are in the bag there yet. It was forty days before that man caught up on my track. I just escaped. From habit he had written his real name on a tavern register, but had scratched it out and written Dagged Barkley in the place of it. But fear gives you a watchful eye and keen, and I read the true name through the scratches and fled like a deer. He has hunted me all over this world for three years and a half, the Pacific States, Australasia, India, everywhere you can think of, then back to Mexico and up to California again, giving me hardly any rest. But that name on the registers always saved me, and what is left of me is alive yet, and I am so tired. A cruel time he has given me, yet I give you my honor. I have never harmed him nor any man. That was the end of the story, and it stirred those boys to blood-heat be sure of it. As for me, each word burnt a hole in me where it struck. We voted that the old man should bunk with us, and be my guest and Hillier's. I shall keep my own counsel, naturally, but as soon as he is well rested and nourished, I shall take him to Denver and rehabilitate his fortunes. The boys gave the old fellow the bone-mashing good-fellowship handshake of the mines, and then scattered away to spread the news. At dawn next morning Wells Fargo Ferguson and Ham Sandwich called us softly out, and said privately, "'That news about the way that old stranger has been treated has spread all round, and the camps are up. They are piling in from everywhere, and are going to lynch the professor. Constable Harris is in a dead funk, and has telephoned the sheriff. Come along.' We started on a run. The others were privileged to feel as they chose, but in my heart's privacy I hoped the sheriff would arrive in time, for I had small desire that Sherlock Holmes should hang for my deeds, as you can easily believe. I had heard a good deal about the sheriff, but for reassurance's sake I asked, "'Can he stop a mob?' "'Can he stop a mob? Can Jack Fairfax stop a mob? Well, I should smile. Ex-desperado, nineteen scalps on his string. Can he? Oh, I say!' As we tore up the gulch, distant cries and shouts and yells rose faintly on the still air, and grew steadily in strength as we raced along. Roar after roar burst out, stronger and stronger, nearer and nearer, and at last, when we closed up upon the multitude massed in the open area in front of the tavern, the crash of sound was deafening. Some brutal roughs from Daly's Gorge had Holmes in their grip, and he was the calmest man there. A contemptuous smile played about his lips, and if any fear of death was in his British heart, his iron personality was master of it, and no sign of it was allowed to appear. "'Come to a vote, man!' This from one of the Daly gang, Shadbelly Higgins. "'Quick! Is it hang or shoot?' "'Neither!' shouted one of his comrades. "'He'll be alive again in a week. Burning's the only permanency for him.' 
the gangs from all the outlying camps burst out in a thunder-crash of approval and went struggling and surging toward the prisoner and closed around him shouting fire fire's the ticket they dragged him to the horse-post backed him against it chained him to it and piled wood and pine-cones around him waist-deep still the strong face did not blench and still the scornful smile played about the thin lips a match fetch a match shadbelly struck it shaded it with his hand stooped and held it under a pine-cone a deep silence fell upon the mob the cone caught a tiny flame flickered about it a moment or two i seemed to catch the sound of distant hoofs it grew more distinct still more and more distinct more and more definite but the absorbed crowd did not appear to notice it the match went out the man struck another stooped and again the flame rose this time it took hold and began to spread here and there men turned away their faces the executioner stood with the charred match in his fingers watching his work the hoof-beats turned a projecting crag and now they came thundering down upon us almost the next moment there was a shout the sheriff and straightway he came tearing into the midst stood his horse almost on his hind feet and said fall back you gutter snipes he was obeyed by all but their leader he stood his ground and his hand went to his revolver the sheriff covered him promptly and said drop your hand you parlor desperado kick the fire away now unchain the stranger the parlor desperado obeyed then the sheriff made a speech sitting his horse at martial ease and not warming his words with any touch of fire but delivering them in a measured and deliberate way and in a tone which harmonized with their character and made them impressively disrespectful you're a nice lot now ain't you just about eligible to travel with this bilk here shadbelly higgins this loud-mouthed sneak that shoots people in the back and calls himself a desperado if there's anything i do particularly despise it's a lynching mob i've never seen one that had a man in it it has to tally up a hundred against one before it can pump up pluck enough to tackle a sick tailor it's made up of cowards and so is the community that breeds it and ninety-nine times out of a hundred the sheriff's another one he paused apparently to turn that last idea over in his mind and taste the juice of it then he went on the sheriff that lets a mob take a prisoner away from him is the lowest down coward there is by the statistics there was a hundred and eighty-two of them drawing sneak pay in america last year by the way it's going pretty soon there'll be a new disease in doctor books sheriff complaint that idea pleased him anyone could see it people will say sheriff's sick again yes got the same old thing and next there'll be a new title people won't say he's running for sheriff of rapahoe county for instance they'll say he's running for coward of rapahoe lord the idea of a grown-up person being afraid of a lynch mob he turned an eye on the captive and said stranger who are you and what have you been doing my name is sherlock holmes and i have not been doing anything it was wonderful the impression which the sound of that name made on the sheriff notwithstanding he must have come posted 
he spoke up with feeling and said it was a blot on the country that a man whose marvelous exploits had filled the world with their fame and their ingenuity and whose histories of them had won every reader's heart by the brilliancy and charm of their literary setting should be visited under the stars and stripes by an outrage like this he apologized in the name of the whole nation and made holmes a most handsome bow and told constable harris to see him to his quarters and hold himself personally responsible if he was molested again then he turned to the mob and said hunt your holes you scum which they did then he said follow me shadbelly i'll take care of your case myself no keep your popgun whenever i see the day that i'll be afraid to have you behind me with that thing it'll be time for me to join last year's hundred and eighty-two and he rode off in a walk shadbelly following when we were on our way back to our cabin toward breakfast time we ran upon the news that fetlock jones had escaped from his lock-up in the night and is gone nobody is sorry let his uncle track him out if he likes it is in his line the camp is not interested end of part two chapter four this is part two chapter five of a double-barrel detective story ten days later james walker is all right in body now and his mind shows improvement too i start with him for denver tomorrow morning next night brief note mailed at a way station as we were starting this morning hillier whispered to me keep this news from walker until you think it's safe and not likely to disturb his mind and check his improvement the ancient crime he spoke of was really committed and by his cousin as he said we buried the real criminal the other day the unhappiest man that has lived in a century flint buckner his real name was jacob fuller there mother by help of me an unwitting mourner your husband and my father is in his grave let him rest end of part two chapter five and end of a double-barrel detective story read by john greenman